good morning. Good morning. Um, I'm loving the frigid temperatures. I hope nobody's uh, water pipes have uh, struggled because of them. Uh, that would not be fun. Uh, but I have enjoyed the colder temperatures. But I am thankful I get to go on a vacation to warmer temperatures while y'all still enjoy the colder temperatures up here. Um, I'm also very thankful that there are men in this congregation who are, are able to and willing to uh, teach and preach in my uh, absence. I, you'll be blessed tonight in our evening service. Uh, I believe Brother Doug will be preaching, so please come and enjoy. Uh, he is a, a magnificent preacher, and you will be blessed because of his lesson uh, so please plan to attend tonight. I'm also very excited about uh, kind of a, a different format for our first Sunday fellowships. Uh, we'll have the meal right after our morning services, and we'll also be able to go and visit another congregation in the evening. Uh, it's just going to be a, a great to be around other brothers and sisters. I know we all love each other in here, but we want to also encourage and edify those uh, congregations around us who maybe don't have a lot of numbers or who maybe just some people we haven't seen in a while and we want to uh, visit with them. So I'm very excited about that. And uh, as we, as Brother Danny said, February, we've chosen West Blockton Church of Christ to go and visit with them and um, just be able to encourage them and let them encourage us as well. Um, so that'll be the first week in February. Just really excited for all the new things uh, for this year and everything that's going to happen. Um, we are continuing in this series about table talks uh, throughout the Gospel of Luke. We find Jesus having a lot of time around a table with people, right? Some good people, some bad people. Last week we talked about how he was eating with tax collectors and sinners, and we learned the lesson from that. Um, and so this week we're going to be again talking about this idea uh, of Jesus around a table and the lessons we can learn from that. Now, how many of you like feet? Okay, maybe you don't. Um, stinky feet, whatever type of feet. Are, you know, I want to ask, are you a, a shoes off in your house or a shoes on in your house type of person? Um, because we're going to be talking about some feet today, right? Now, when you start to think about feet and a table... And eating a meal, that doesn't sound just appetizing to me. But that's what we're going to be talking about in Luke chapter 7, verses 36 through 50. So if you want to turn in your Bibles there, that's the text we'll be covering this morning and the lesson we're going to be learning as Jesus is around a table and there are some feet going to be involved. Now, I want you to notice it's going to be th broken up into three different sections because the text really uh, breaks it up that way. The first uh, part of the section we'll talk about is this lesson around the table, right? What's happening? What's the setting? Um, and then we'll go into uh, this teaching that Jesus has, and then we'll end with the takeaways that we gain from the lesson. Now, right before this, uh, what happens is the Pharisees were starting to call Jesus out. And if you were to look up right before verse 36, uh, in verses 31 and following, um, he, Jesus goes into talking about to what uh, shall then I compare the people of this generation and what are they like? They are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another. We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not weep. For John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you say he's a demon. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, 
a friend of tax collectors and sinners, yet wisdom is justified by all her children. Wisdom is made known by their children. God's will is made known by his children is really the idea about that lesson. And now uh, he's going to take that last thing he says in verse 35, yet wisdom is known or justified by all her children. He's going to prove that in the very next text. But what's interesting is that these Pharisees were calling Jesus out because they said, look, he's eating with tax collectors and sinners. He must be a drunkard and a glutton. Now, what, what you find so fascinating, what I found so fascinating, is look who invites him to go eat with him in verse 36. Now, one of the Pharisees was requesting him to dine with him, and he entered the Pharisee's house, and he reclined at the table. And there was a woman in the city who was a sinner. So two characters so far have showed up in this lesson. We have this Pharisee who we'll later learn is the name of Simon, right? And then we have this woman who is a sinner. We don't know exactly what her sin is, but there are some context clues that may give way of to what, she, uh, what sin she was involved in, what more immorality she was a part of. And when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster vial of perfume. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. And then she's going to go on to talk about what else she did. But notice what she brings with her. An alabaster vial, or alabaster vial of perfume. Now please don't try to confuse this with Mark chapter 14 verses 3 through 9. This is not a parallel account. These are two separate accounts, and you'll see why as we go through this. But some people will try to make that claim, and they'll try to connect the dots between these two. But they're totally separate accounts. This account is actually um, just found in Luke, the Gospel of Luke. All right. So she brings this alabaster vial of perfume. What is this perfume? Right. Um, it's actually... If you were to look at the Greek word, it's the Greek word muron, which is myrrh, another way. It's a balsamic, gum, a balsamic gum from the plant of Camiphora myrrha, which is native to southern Arabia and northern Somaliland. The residue secretes from the tree, or it's exuded artificially, and can be used in its liquid state as an oil. It can also be hardened into a resin for incense, Right? You have frankincense and myrrh, we often hear about it, right? And so uh, this lady had a perfume of it. It was liquefied and made into a perfume. Now, what's interesting, if you were to look at Proverbs chapter 7, verse 17, notice what the harlot uses myrrh for. I have sprinkled my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon, right? Uh, if you were to study this idea of what the ointment or perfume of myrrh was used for, Harlots often used it uh, to sprinkle their beds with it to cause a, a, a great scent to come out of their rooms, right? And so now if you were to uh, kind of try to figure out what this woman was involved with, maybe it was harlotry. Um, but no, we don't know for sure. We can just maybe look at things in the context to give way to it. She was known in the city as a sinner. She was a woman and she had this perfume. Now, Notice what she does when she comes into this Pharisee's house, right? She comes in and she's weeping. And she began to wet his feet, Jesus' feet, with her tears. Right? It's a lot of tears coming out. And she kept wiping them with her hair 
of her head and kissing his feet. Now notice what she's doing with the feet of Jesus right now, right? Dirty feet, remember that, right? Are we foot people or are we not foot people, right? She kept wiping them with her hair and kissing his feet and anointing them with the perfume. She was taking this expensive perfume, right? And a lot of people will say she had to break this vial, this flask. It was often in this mason jar, not a mason jar, but a clay pot type thing. And you would have to break it to get it out. And so she's doing this to Jesus' feet. I want you to imagine what this was like, okay? They didn't have cool shoes. They didn't get to wear boots back then. They wore sandals. And they had to walk dusty dirt roads everywhere they went. Not only were they walking these dusty dirt roads, which is gross enough, but what was traveling with them? Donkeys, camels, all of these different things. And if you've ever been around livestock before, they like to just use the bathroom wherever they want to. And oftentimes that was on the roads they would be traveling. So not only is she kissing his feet, cleaning his feet with her hair, right? Ladies, y'all like to take care of your hair. And now she's just taking it and wiping some dirty feet with it, right? And not only that, she's using this this vial of perfume to put on his feet. Think about the dedication, the devotion this lady has, the love that she has for Jesus right now to go all through, through all of these different things, to do this for Jesus and his feet, right? And so then you go on, said, now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of person this woman is who is touching him, that she is a sinner. I think our Pharisee just got himself in trouble with this very statement because look at the very next, uh, we'll look at the very next thing in just a second. But this idea of anointing before we get there is uh, oftentimes, I don't quite understand what anointing is, but as I was researching this, Notice what is said here. The Jew was accustomed not only to rubbing his head with oil or ointment at feasts in token of joy, but also both the head and the feet of those whom he wished to distinguish by special honor. How did this woman see Jesus? Someone who was worthy of special honor. Someone she wanted to distinguish as someone with special honor honor and that's why she's anointing his feet with this special perfume notice as we go on we find in verses 40 through 43 and jesus answered him so we have simon this pharisee saying if he were really a prophet he would know who this woman is and he wouldn't be letting her do that notice how jesus answers him simon i have something to say to you Uh oh and he replied say it teacher Now, notice he's going to go into this parable, right? This is a two-verse parable, but it's a big lesson that's going to come from it. A moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. Okay, let's stop there. A denarii at this time, or a denarii, however you want to say it, was a day's wage, all right? So 500 days worth of wages. That's how one person owned it, or owed Now, if you were to just look it up, a denarii is about $8 worth. Well, that's not a day's wage for us today. So now if you really think about it, how much is that? A year and a half's worth of wages. For some, that's 40-something thousand dollars. For others, it's 60. For others, it's 100 plus. That's how much this person owed. 
and the other owed 50 denarii, right? And when they were unable to repay, this money lender graciously forgave them both. Now notice, Jesus is going to ask him a question to make sure he was paying attention. So which of these or which of them will love him more? Simon, this Pharisee, said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said, you got it right. You have judged correctly. Now notice what you find in this parable. Some takeaways that we find in this parable. First, notice both people had a debt to be repaid. One was a lot, one was maybe not as much, right? Next thing you notice is both were graciously forgiven of their debt. And notice what this response to forgiveness was. It was love, right? Which one was going to love him more? Well, it was the one who was forgiven more. Now, he's going to go on to say in verses 44 through 50, where we really find the big lesson of this message is turning toward the woman he said to the woman do you see this woman i entered your house you gave me no water he's talking to simon the pharisee you gave no water for my feet which was a a custom during that time to wash your feet as you entered into somebody's house but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair you gave me no kiss but she since the time i came in has not ceased to kiss my feet You did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with perfume. For this reason, I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven. For she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. Now, what did he just do to Simon? He kind of threw a little shot in there, right? Look at her, Simon. Look how much love she has shown me. Look how much her sins are, but look at the love she shows me. Look at the little sins that you have and the love that you've shown me, which was nothing, right? He came into his house. He wasn't offered water. He wasn't even offered one of his servants to have washed his feet. He wasn't anointed. He wasn't greeted with a kiss. But yet this woman is doing all of these things. And not only that, she's doing it to Jesus' feet. And now we see how Jesus says, look, Because her sins have been forgiven and because her sins are so much, look how much love she is showing. Even though you've had your sins forgiven or I'm offering forgiveness of sins, you don't show me any love. Then he said to her, your sins have been forgiven. Now notice this side note here. Those who were reclining at the table with him began to say to themselves, who is this man who even forgives sins? Now, Luke puts that in there like other gospel writers will add these little questions for us as the readers to ask ourselves as we're reading through this gospel account. Who is this that's able to forgive sins? It's God, right? In Mark's accounts, uh, they'll ask this same question, but then they'll make the claim, who can forgive sins but God? Well, there's your answer, right? And so they add this in there so that we as the reader will read this question and question ourselves. Who is this man? that can forgive sins. And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. We have two different people, two different people that had a debt to be repaid. One was a lot, one was a little, but it was still a debt. And that debt was graciously forgiven, right? And look at the response that was seen between both of them. One loved him much. The other didn't show any. 
And so I want to ask us a question as we end today. How do we approach Jesus? We all had a debt to repay, right? And maybe we've had that debt repaid by Jesus. How do we approach him? Do we show gratitude or do we come with him with an attitude, right? Do we show him love because of what he's done for us? Because he went through his life and he lived a perfect life and he became that perfect sacrifice that we talked about in the book of Hebrews on Wednesday nights. He was able to uh, offer that ultimate sacrifice with his blood to wash away our sins. Do we truly show him love? Do we show him gratitude? Do we appreciate him? Well, how can we appreciate him? We say, I love him. Do, do you show it? Right? Well, how can I show appreciation? How can I show love for Jesus? Do I share him with others? Do I try to go around and in, invite people to uh, study with me to show them about Jesus? Do I go to him when I have struggles in my life? Do I try to humble myself before him and not think to myself, I can do everything by myself? Or do we just show him attitude, right? Uh, do we kind of invite him over and say, hey, this is my house. You can do what I want you to do in my house, right? This is my life. Jesus, you're just coming along with me. I don't really want to do what you ask me to do. And we don't actually say that, but our lives show it sometimes, don't it? Where we say I'm a follower of Jesus, but all of a sudden I'm just following what I want to do. See, that would be showing Jesus attitude. That wouldn't be appreciating the sin, the forgiveness of sins that he's offered me. And so I want you to really question, how do I approach Jesus in my everyday life? Do I spend time with him? Do I pray do I study? Do I, am I reading scripture? Am I trying to follow and deepen my relationship with him? Because that's really the response that we should show and that we should have. Because if we're all honest with ourselves, and I don't really want you to dwell on this, but think about who you used to be before Jesus. I, I try not to remember that in my life. Thankfully, I for some reason have a bad memory of things before uh, about nine years ago when I was baptized because I, I got to forget about all those things. But you remember, I was a person who had lots of debts, right? I was probably way more than the whole 500 denarii person, but yet he forgave me. And notice this woman's response. She loved him much. And I have to question myself sometimes. Do I love him that much? Do I truly understand the magnitude of his forgiveness, the magnitude of God's mercy in my life? And so as we uh, end this lesson this morning, here's my encouragement for all of us. He cleansed us, right? He forgave us our sins. He gave us that opportunity. So our response should be to love him, to do everything we possibly could for him to have him in our life all the time, to share him at the table when we're eating with people, to share him with our friends, to share our lives with him as we share him to other people's lives. Because he's forgiven us our debts, we should love him. If you're here this morning and you find yourselves in need of encouragement, maybe it's through prayers, maybe you're struggling to love Jesus. I don't know what it, it may be in your life. 
but you would like encouragement, you would like prayers, we would love to pray with you this morning. Or maybe you're here this morning and you haven't received the forgiveness of sins yet. Or maybe you don't know if you've received the forgiveness of sins. In the Bible, we find uh, that moment happens when we're washed in baptism. Uh, We find that in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, as Peter's responding to a question these Jews asked him on the day of Pentecost. After he preached this wonderful gospel message about uh, Jesus And they found out that, oh no, we just crucified the Savior. What must we do, Peter? And he says, repent and be baptized. Why? So you can receive the forgiveness of your sins and also the gift of the Holy Spirit. You see, baptism is that moment when we have our sins washed away, right? And we understand our debt has been paid. He has forgiven me of my sins. He has cleansed me. And so then after that, what should we do? Love him. If you're here this morning and you would like to know more about that, what about this idea of baptism and salvation? I would love to sit and talk with you and study with you, and we can set up a time to do that, um, and you can get with me afterwards. If you have a need this morning, please come while we stand and sing the song of invitation.